This episode contains depictions of death, ableism, child abuse, and police brutality. If any of these topics are difficult in any way, please join us on another adventure. Thank you. What is somebody supposed to do when a bipedal wolf starts chasing them? I'm sure I read a fairy tale about this exact situation when I was a kid, but I can't remember, and I doubt it would have helped me much if I could. I did the smartest thing I could think of. I slammed my foot down on the gas. The damn thing was fast, but the Kamaz was faster. Soviet cars. I've been driving all night now, the sun's starting to rise. There's no clocks in here, but I figure it's around 6 in the morning. I'm tired as balls. I'm not sure how far the next town is, but hopefully they have coffee somewhere. In the daylight, it's hard to believe that thing was real. Like, when you're a kid and you have a nightmare, so you turn on the light and suddenly you can't even remember why you were scared. Still, I'm not gonna pull over and sleep. I'm not a coward, but I'm not exactly brave, either. It's hard to forget how small and alone you are when it's just you in a little metal box hurtling through the Siberian wilderness. All the trees around here look carnivorous, I swear. Anyway, as long as I'm driving, I may as well keep talking, keep myself awake. I'll tell you about my father. His name was Mikhail Muromets. From the last story I told you, you might be assuming a few things about him. You might think he was a deadbeat alcoholic. True. Abusive asshole. Very true. That he hated my guts. That one I disagree with. My papa loved me a whole lot. We probably would have gotten along better if he hadn't. Like all Russian fathers, he wanted a boy. Unfortunately for him, he got me, and by the time I was born, my mama had already figured out that he was insufferable, and he couldn't con her into giving birth again. My aunt Tanya used to tell me the story of how I was born. My mama was in bed at home, obviously, with her sisters and mother sitting around her, holding her hands, singing to calm her down. My papa was doing his best to pace hard enough to wear a hole through the floor out in the hall. After ten hours of sweating from both my parents, I got thrust into this cruel world as a mewling, bloody mess like all infants. Papa ran into the room. He didn't even look at his wife, he just kept asking if it was a boy. He knelt down by the edge of the bed to get a good look at me and his smile faded. Not only was it not a boy, the screaming alien in front of him had one of its legs missing from the knee down. He staggered up and pointed the finger at my mama. It's a monster! You gave me a fucking monster, you stupid slut! How did you manage to fuck this up? Mama was barely conscious at the time, so her sisters cussed him out for her. One of them, Tanya, wrapped me up in a tiny bundle and I stopped screaming so that was one less source of noise in the room. I can only imagine it was like a chorus of everyone yelling at each other except my mama and me. Eventually, the ants and my baba quieted down too, preferring to coo over the baby, but my papa went on, delivering a rousing solo performance of the seminal classic My Child is a Fucking Cripple. He only stopped when my mama reached out one hand for him and said quietly, Misha, she has your ugly nose. He stepped closer and looked at my sleeping face and started laughing. 
Lo, behold, my nose was indeed a spitting image of my father's, weirdly squashed in the middle for no discernible reason. And Tanya always finished the story by saying, and we all agreed that living with that nose would be much harder than living with your leg. My aunt liked to believe she was very funny. How big are these woods, I swear to God. I've gone through everything that was in the truck when I stole it. A rifle, a change of uniform for the cunt who drove it, enough granola and beef jerky to last for two weeks, water purifying kit, a compass, and a map. I also have your jacket, my prison clothes, and a switchblade. I won't describe the switchblade, Ben, I'm sure you remember it. When I finally find my balls and pull over, I'll switch out my socks for the pair of combat boots that were part of this car's owner's uniform. Might take a spence too, but khaki really isn't my color. Clearly that's the worst part of this situation. I've escaped a hidden Russian military facility, there's a monster potentially still chasing me. I don't have any idea where I am, but god forbid I wear khaki pants. I'm gonna die here, aren't I? Like I said, Papa only saw me once a month until I was 13, when he took me with him across the biggest country in the world to live in a big city for the first time in my life. Our apartment in Leningrad was communal, meaning that the whole apartment had been split up so each bedroom was used by an individual family. We had one room and two other families had one room each. The whole building was like that. There were still places where hooks for chandeliers were visible, and the plaster around the edges of the ceiling was all in fancy curly cues. Back before the Union, rich families must have lived there, in the whole apartment instead of just one room. I used to think about that when I was little. I used to imagine a big family with four or five kids having big dinners together in one of the rooms, the maid bringing in more food from the kitchen. I imagine the kids all sharing inside jokes and the parents smiling fondly at each other. In my imagination, the family who used to own our apartment was always frozen in a pocket of time before 1917, before everything went further to shit than it already was. They didn't have to get hunted down and killed by Bolsheviks, or abandon their lovely St. Petersburg home and flee to Europe. As long as they were in my mind, they could stay there forever having dinner while their country burned around them. I never really spoke to the other two families who shared their apartment with us. Either they were racist or they didn't like my prosthetic. Either way, I ignored the pity glances and the judgment glances. Could never decide which were worse. My father enrolled me in school and I dutifully sat through junior high and then high school. It was four years of staring out the window as the teachers covered things I already knew. The only thing I gained from those classes was bruises from the kids who thought they could fuck with me. I never understood the urge to fight the guy with a prosthetic. Based on the noises some of my classmates made, I'd say getting kneaded in the nuts when the knees, metal and plastic hurts quite a lot. Papa was a security guard at the Hermitage. And every weekend he made me go to the museum with him so he could watch me watch the paintings. I got to know them by heart. My favorite was the one of the three warriors by Vasnitsov. 
I can't explain why I loved it so much. Maybe because I felt some strange kinship to Ilya Muromets. Sometimes I convinced myself we were descended from him. Those three men just looked so strong, almost invincible with their armor and horses. I always thought that if the police or the military broke into the museum, the warriors would come to life and start slicing their way through their enemies. You didn't grow up Russian, Ben, so this may not be clear to you. Cops are the enemy. Cops are always the enemy. My conversations with my father growing up usually began by covering the same beats over and over. How was school? Fine. Where's that bruise from? Kid fucked with me. Did you drop him on his ass? Yeah? Good. The rest of my time with him was spent in silence or talking about shared interests. He made me discuss my favorite paintings or my favorite books with him and had me explain why I liked each one. Gruff as he always was, my father thought art was important and he'd be damned if he didn't make me think so too. That's how it was most of the time. Terse silences and art discussions. When it was like that, it was easy to like my father, maybe even love him. The problems came in the small percentage of times when he wasn't good. My father got drunk every Sunday like clockwork. Some men go to church, he went to the bar. When he was drunk, my father was a different person. The man who loved the hermitage with his whole heart was gone, replaced by a man who threatened to cut off my other leg if I accidentally thumped my prosthetic down too hard and I took it off. When he was drunk, he beat me up more often than not, and the next day I would show up to school with my skin more purple than brown. I got the same glances at school as I, as I did from my roommates, pity or judgment, with the addition of kids I beat up looking vindicated. Good for them, I guess. After he beat me, my father would always come home on Monday with something for me. It would be small, but without fail he got me a gift. Pins, postcards, once a nice blue sweater that was more than we could afford. I would always nod and accept it, and we were even. The reparations had been paid. The next Sunday he would beat me up again. When I was 16, I asked him if he realized that getting drunk meant wasting money on booze and wasting money on gifts for me. He glared. When you're making your own money, Sashka, he said, you can spend it how you want. The gifts stopped after that. I managed to graduate on time, and that was the closest he ever came to looking proud of me. When I told him I'd been accepted to the state university, he nodded, and I almost saw a smile on his face. He asked me what I'd be studying. I told him art. The almost smile turned into a full one, and he laughed. Art? You're crazy, Sashka. How the fuck are you gonna make money off of art? I think that was the only time I saw him truly happy. That and when he was killing things. Every few months, my father packed the car with our rifles, some jackets, and a set of hunting knives, and we set off outside the city to hunt. We killed all sorts of animals, rabbits, squirrels, sometimes even deer. Every time, he'd carry it to the car, spread out a tarp, and give me a knife. Got it, he'd say. When I did it wrong, he corrected my grip and held his big hand over mine on the knife, more patient than he was at any other time. I still remember how to do it. Stab your knife in at the navel, angle up, pull it up to the neck, 
see the inside spilling out, bag all the guts, start skinning. He sold the skins to a friend of his who did tanning and got a cut of the profit and we always ate the meat but it was never really about money for him. My father had wanted a boy, doing manly things with him, let him con convince himself into believing I was one. I said earlier that my father loved me. I wasn't sure about that until the day I got arrested. When the cops came to our house that day, I'd been home for about an hour. They knocked on the door and my father answered it. I was under arrest, they told him. What for, he asked. Murder, they said. He said no. No, Sashka would never do that, not my Sashka. If he killed someone, my father said, he'd never get caught. He's smart, he's top of his grade at university, do you know? He's studying art. You're not taking my son, he said. They shot him in the head and stepped over his body to get to me. His blood got on the fancy plasterwork along the linoleum. Our roommates watched from their doorways. The, the, the dead family having dinner looked up for a moment. There was a sound like a dying rabbit. Something almost like screaming, almost too high to hear. Heartbreaking. It took me a moment to realize I was making the sound, and by the time I realized it, the butt of a rifle had connected with the back of my skull. Swing, crunch, slump. Just like that. When I woke up, I was in the facility. Fuck it, I'm stopping the car. I'm tired and my leg is numb. If I keep the prosthetic on much longer, my hip's gonna cramp. Oh, that's nice. Time to take it off and do my little Captain John Silver hopping around routine. Wait a minute. Shit, shit, what is that? Fuck! Your truck's not fast enough. This episode of Go I Know Not Withers stars Thomas Malinowski and Rose Madsen. It was written by Thomas Malinowski and edited by Olivia Spreen. Cover art is by our friend Sasha. You can find them on Instagram at at an art post a week. Special thanks to our patrons Tessa Padromo, James Harper, Jennifer Parlette, and John Ashley Mulvaney. Also, thank you to Val Spinyatskovsky. If you'd like to support Go I Know Not With Her and any future podcasts, check us out on our Patreon and Instagram at at Malinowski and Spreen. We really appreciate it. Thank you for listening. If you're ever in St. Petersburg, check out the art museums, but don't make eye contact with any of the paintings. We can't be blamed for any bodily harm that comes to you. We'll see you next time, as we go we know not whither to find we know not what. <laughs>